Church family, yesterday Tiffany brought us a timely word on birthright and blessing taken from a study of the lives of Jacob and Esau. I think that you will be encouraged and challenged as you listen to this word, as I believe it's directly from the heart of the Father for us in this moment. What do we know about Prince Harry? Too much. <laughs> Too much. <laughs> Throw some stuff out. What do you know about Prince Harry? Only his parents are and his brother. His parents and his brother? He's kind of gotten himself into some issues. <laughs> He's gotten into some trouble. Too much. <laughs> he lacks wisdom. He lacks wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> he just doesn't fit into his family. He doesn't, he doesn't fit in. Yeah. He doesn't want to fit into his family, right? Um, I just think he's a broken man, mm-hmm. and he's not really, I feel, got over his master. Mm-hmm. You know? I agree with you, very much so. It's interesting because Prince Harry actually has something in common in a way, a partial, partial commonality, with one of his family predecessors. Back in the early 30s, or the late 30s, I believe it was King Edward, I think was his name. I can't remember. If anybody remembers, you can shout it out. But anyway, he abdicated the throne. He basically said, I'm giving up my royal rights in order that I can pursue the woman that I love and the lifestyle that I love. And she was a divorcee, and so he wasn't allowed legally to marry her because he was a member of the royal family. We're not going to talk about the potential weirdness of the royal family and all the rules that they have to live by and how constrained that will be because it's a whole other subject. But the point is, is that the king abdicated his position so that he could follow, you know, this pursuit that he wanted to pursue. Um, and Harry has done something similar. He's abdicated his position in the royal family, basically. He's given up his privileges and his responsibilities in the royal family so that he can pursue the lifestyle that he wants to pursue. Now, interestingly enough, for most of us as Americans, we would go, yeah, way to go, good job, right? Because we're all for independence, we're all for freedom, we're all for nobody's going to tell me how to live my life. That's just kind of how we are as Americans. And yet I want us to maybe kind of take Prince Harry as a a starting off point for something we want to pull out of scripture that I think the Lord may want us to look at from a different perspective. So this morning we're going to talk about birthright and blessings. And we're going to talk about Jacob and Esau. What do we know about Jacob and Esau? Let's stick with Esau. Come on, guys. I know you know this. <laughs> he was hairy. Esau was hairy. Yeah, they were twins. Right. Esau was hairy. He was the hairy twin. <laughs> what else? What else do we know about He was the older, and he was the one that had the birthright. Exactly. Esau was the older of the two, Jacob and Esau. By a few and he, seconds. By a few seconds. <laughs> and he had the birthright because he was the oldest. What else do we know? Anything else you guys know about him? Jacob stole the birthright. Jacob stole the birthright. Well, yep. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about that. He was a man of the field. Man of the field. He liked to be outdoors. They were born in a promise. Yes. This is a very interesting thing. We're going to discuss that this morning. We're going to read a lot of scripture this morning, just a heads up. So I am not going to take the time to have us take turns reading out loud the scriptures, but we will be reading a lot of scripture. We're going to start in Genesis Starting in Genesis 25, which is kind of the basic kickoff of Jacob and Esau's story. So we're going to give a little backstory, just as Luke said, that before Jacob and Esau were born, 
Their mother, Rebecca, was barren. She could not conceive. And Isaac prayed to the Lord, and she conceived. And she had twins. And she went to inquire of the Lord, the Bible says, which is kind of an interesting, ambiguous statement. What does that really mean? She went to inquire of the Lord. But she asked the Lord, why am I experiencing this kind of pregnancy? Uh, a little, Probably a little bit intense. And the Lord basically said, there are two nations in your womb. There are two nations in your womb. And the younger will be the leader, basically. The older will serve the younger. So right from her pregnancy, Rebecca has this word about the sons that are in her womb. And I can imagine that as her sons are born, there is no secret about what the Lord has said. In fact, as we continue to read, Rebecca seems to be a pretty forthright woman, getting her way the way that she wants to. So I, I can imagine she had no qualms in telling her sons what was what in regards to the promise of the Lord. So you have to know that Esau and Jacob are growing up not only in a family where they have this promise overarching their entire family, this Abrahamic covenant that's passed down from their grandfather, but probably very aware of the fact that their mother had received a word about the younger son being the leader. So Esau kind of had a couple strikes against him in that, in that regard. However, just like with all of us, Esau had choice. He had free will of how he was going to respond. And um, we're going to start in Genesis 25, verse 27. It says, when the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac, his father, loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Yeah, interesting family dynamic here. So the parents have got favorites already, but we want to get to verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat of some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom, which means red. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. Wow, that's a pretty... Strong statement. Esau despised his birthright. Now, I think it seems pretty evident as we read this story that from the moment that Esau came in from the field, and probably for years before, he had something in his heart that he was carrying. He despised his birthright. We could speculate as to why that would be. Scripture doesn't say exactly why he despised his birthright. It could be because his mother had always been talking about the fact that he was going to end up serving his younger brother. And so he probably thought, well, what good is it for me to even hope to be the man that I could become? I'm going to end up serving my younger brother anyway. That could be one of the reasons why he despised his birthright. I think we're going to find out as we continue to go through Scripture that there was something else going on. But we can see that from the moment he walks into the house, he has in his heart something that causes him to respond to Jacob by saying, eating your stew and your bread is more important to me than holding on to and walking in my birthright. 
So I am going to sell you my birthright so that I can eat your stew. Can we just let that sit for just a minute? That is a powerful, powerful statement. And Jacob, who we know is a trickster, probably had already been ready to go and says, deal. And he, he gains the birthright in that way. We know that Jacob, being a deceiver, was playing into the enemy's hand and wanting the enemy's plan to work out in this family. Whereas the Lord had a plan right along, he was going to promote Jacob in his way and in his timing, right? He would have done that. But Jacob gets the birthright through deception, and Esau loses it. I want us to look at the Hebrew word for despised. Esau despised his birthright. That's the word bazaar. And it means to disdain. It also means to be careless with. To be careless with. So he had a disdaining going on in his spirit for his birthright, but he also was careless with it. You know how um, when you hold something precious, like let's say a newborn baby, we've been holding a newborn a lot lately because Kylie had her baby a few weeks ago. And when you hold that newborn, you hold it so carefully, right? Because you know if you don't hold it carefully, you could easily drop that wiggly little baby and you could have a horrible accident. So you're very careful, you treasure that baby. Well, Esau did not treasure his birthright, he was careless with it, probably because he disdained it. Listen to what Webster, back from 1828, had to say about the word birthright. Birthright is any right or privilege to which a person is entitled by birth, such as an estate, descendable by law to an heir, but especially the privilege of the firstborn. Now we know that in ancient times, the right of the firstborn was incredibly important, and Esau carried that right. Do you guys know, does anybody know what the firstborn would receive, or why it was important to be the firstborn in a family? Double portion. Yeah. The firstborn got the double portion of the inheritance. What else did they receive? They had certain rights to do things in the tabernacle. They did. They absolutely did. They had priestly rights over the family, as in charge of the family, so to speak. Firstborn belongs to the Lord. The firstborn was set aside, set apart for the Lord. That's right. Later on, when we see the Mosaic Law, the firstborn was set apart for the Lord. The firstborn also had judicial responsibilities within their clan or within their tribe. They were looked to leadership that the other siblings didn't have to carry. Right, so we can see that the firstborn rights, that birthright, had a lot of privileges, but it also had a lot of responsibility. A lot of responsibility. Kind of like Prince Harry. <laughs> a lot of privileges, but a lot of responsibility, right? I really liked this statement about the birthright. The birthright has to do with both position and inheritance. By birthright, the firstborn son inherited the leadership of the family and the judicial authority of his father. Deuteronomy 21.17 states that he was also entitled to a double portion of the inheritance. What was specifically Esau's birthright? So in addition to all of these things, what do we know was specifically his birthright? Abrahamic covenant. Exactly. The Abrahamic covenant was his birthright. 
So let's actually read that. Now, God shows up to Abraham many times in the book of Genesis and not only shares the covenant that he's making with Abraham, but repeats it and expands on it. So there are lots of different pieces to the Abrahamic covenant, but I'm going to read the first mention of it from Genesis 12. This is the call of Abraham when he receives God's call to come out from the land he's in and go to the promised land. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred, your family, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. That was God's promise to Abraham. It's pretty weighty. Now we know the Lord later on tells Abraham, all this is going to come because I'm going to give you a son. You're going to have an inheritor, so to speak, for this promise. But before he tells him that, he's basically saying to Abraham, Abraham, I've picked you. I've chosen you. Out of all the people on the face of the earth, I've chosen you to represent my name, to represent my glory, to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Now Esau grows up knowing this. This is what he is inheriting. It's not just a double portion of his father financially. We know Isaac was rich. The Bible specifically says that. He's a wealthy man. So Esau's going to inherit a double portion of his father's wealth. But more importantly than that, as Esau's growing up, Isaac, we know without a doubt, is recounting to him the promises that are made to his grandfather. Look, the reason we're in this land, son, is because God told us to come here. The reason we're in this land is because someday it's going to be ours. The reason we're here is because God has chosen us to be a light to the nations, to represent him before the nations of the earth. And the word says Esau despised his birthright. We can see from this passage where he sells his birthright to Jacob that Esau was more interested in something else. Instead of honoring what was being given to him as an inheritance, instead of choosing to pick up that baton and run with it, instead of saying, I will accept the privileges and responsibilities of my birthright, he was much more interested in what? His appetites. His appetites. What made him feel good? Present, not the future. The present, not the future. Whatever was comfortable to him whatever he enjoyed the most, whatever it was that felt good in the moment, that was what Esau was about. Instead of looking to the long term of I'm called to carry a light to the nations. We're going to open this up some more. So he has sold down his birthright, Esau has. But there's still a little hope for Esau. Because at some point, he knows when his father's about to pass away, he's going to receive the blessing, right? So the birthright is reserved for the firstborn, but the blessing goes to everyone of a father's children. Again, this ancient practice of the father giving a specific blessing to each child. We see this all throughout the Old Testament. So there's hope for Esau yet. And you guys all know the story. We don't have to read the whole story. 
It's time for Isaac to die, or so he thinks he actually ends up living quite a lot longer after this incident. But he thinks he's going to die, so he calls his sons in to give them the blessing. And Jacob, once again, tricks his father, this time with the help of his mother, and comes in dressed as Esau to receive the blessing that is due to the firstborn son. So Isaac, being tricked, gives him that blessing, and Esau comes in just a few minutes later, ready to get the blessing. And we're going to pick up the story in Genesis 27, verses 30 through 38. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father. So if this was a movie, it'd be kind of cool. There'd be a lot of tension here because Jacob would be going out just as... Esau's coming in, and you'd be on the edge of your seat, you know, is he going to see, is he going to know? And he, Esau, had also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, was it then that hunted game and brought it to me and I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him yes and he shall be blessed as soon as Esau heard the words of his father he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father bless me even me also oh my father but he said your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob, which means trickster? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me even also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Praise the Lord that we live under the new covenant. And our father always has a blessing for us. Always has a blessing for us. But this is really important for us to learn from. I want us to look at the specific blessing that Isaac gave to Jacob. If you look at verses 28 through 29, these are the words of blessing that Isaac spoke over Jacob, the words that should have been spoken over Esau, who had the right to these words. He says, May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So in this blessing, what has Isaac given to Jacob? He's given him abundance and provision, right? That's the first part of the blessing. Grain and wine and oil, abundance in your house. So he's blessed him with abundance of provision. Then he says, let people serve you, let nations bow down to you. So he's blessed him with rule and authority. And then lastly, he says, cursed be everyone who curses you, blessed be everyone who blesses you. He's blessing him with protection and favor. 
Kind of sound familiar at all to you guys? Abundant provision, rule and authority, protection and favor. That should sound somewhat familiar because that's ours. That's ours. And we're going to talk about that more in just a minute. So all of that now has been given to Jacob. And Esau has to walk away without those blessings. And what I want us to begin to unpack here is that Esau wanted the blessing without the birthright. He despised the birthright, but he craved the blessing. Now, why is this important? When the Lord showed this to me, it kind of blew my mind. Why is it important that we understand this? I believe, number one, it's important because this is so often how we live our lives. We long for the Father's blessing. We crave the Father's blessing. We want all of these things. We want abundance of provision. We want rule and authority. We want protection and favor. But we don't long for and crave to walk in our birthright. In addition to that, we see this all the time in the world. All the time. Doesn't the world long for the blessing of God in their lives? Don't they cry out for it? Just like Esau cried with a great and bitter cry, it says. He cried, bless me, my father. Don't we see that all around us? People who are saying, bless me, God. I want the goodness of you in my life. Now, we know according to Scripture that God does bless those who know him and those who don't know him. And theologians call that uh, like common grace, right? So there's this common grace that's given to all men. The Word of God says he reigns, reign on the evil and the good, right? He gives all these good gifts of creation. He gives us breath in our lungs. That's the common grace of God. And yet, those in the world, they want, they crave the deeper blessings of God. And they cry out for it, but they do not want to walk in the birthright. And we, as the people of God, as the children of God, have to help them to see that it's the birthright that enables them to carry the blessing. Mm -hmm. Before we can do that, we have to understand that ourselves. So I want us to unpack that a little bit more this morning. Let's turn to Hebrews 12. 12 through 17. So the author of Hebrews has just finished talking about godly discipline in the life of the believer. He says, don't despise the discipline of the Lord. It's good. It's good in your life. It's going to produce the peaceable fruit of righteousness in your life. And then he goes into some instructions to the Hebrews. And he says in verse 12, Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Wow. This is a really strong statement. 
That word unholy, the writer of Hebrews uses this word to describe Esau. He says he was unholy. And that is the Greek word, um, and I won't pronounce it correctly, bebleos, bebleos, bebleos. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> bebleos. And it refers to people having an unfit access to God because they approach him apart from faith. Apart from faith. So Esau is described as unholy because he wanted the blessing. He wanted the access to the blessing of God, but he wanted to do that apart from faith. Why do we see this as important? Because it was faith that he needed to inherit and grab hold of and honor the birthright. Let's go back to the Abrahamic covenant. What did God say to Abraham? I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to bless you and make you a light to the nations. I'm going to give you the sins that will be more numerous than the stars in the sky. What did it take to inherit that? Faith. Faith. And yet we see here Esau became unholy because he didn't have the faith to honor that and step into that. Instead, he thought, I want the blessing of God in my life. That feels real good. I want the grain and the oil. I want the abundance of provision. I want the, the authority and the rule. I want the protection. But I'm not going to embrace the faith that it takes to inherit the birthright. That I can do without. So the writer of Hebrews tells us, be careful, church. Be careful that no one embraces a lifestyle and a mindset like Esau, who even though he desired the blessing with tears, he couldn't begin it. It requires faith to embrace our birthright. Let's turn to Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 12. The first kind of faith that we have to have to be a son or a daughter of the Lord is saving faith, right? Faith unto salvation. We know that that's a gift of God. We know that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. That's where we start. That's our starting place is faith unto salvation. So let's read starting in verse 12 through verse 17. It says, uh, Paul is speaking to the Roman church. And he says, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. When we embrace saving faith, we become heirs, co-heirs with Christ. The thing that grieves my heart is that many of us as believers, that's where we stop. We embrace saving faith and we feel like it's enough. 
I become a co-heir with Christ. Do we know what that means? Do we understand that that's actually our birthright and that carries with it privileges and responsibilities? But for many of us, many in this nation who have embraced Christianity, they've said, I have my saving faith. That's enough. That's all I need. But Colossians 1.18 says this, And he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. So who is Jesus? How, how does it look to be a co-heir with Jesus? He's the firstborn. He's the firstborn from the dead. He gets the double portion. Mm -hmm. And we are co-heirs with him, which means what? We get the double portion. We get the double portion. But how many of us feel like, no, saving faith is enough. I'm good with the saving faith. And Paul is exhorting us, come in, church. Come into the fullness of your inheritance. So what is that next step of our inheritance? It's, it's the faith that we need to step into the abundance of the life that's been provided to us through our new identity as a co-heir with Christ. I'm not going to talk about that. We could talk for weeks about what that looks like, being a co-heir. But I would urge you this week, meditate on Ephesians chapter 1. Mm. Dig into it. Chew on it. Soak yourself in it. Because it describes, even like through the first half of Ephesians 2, it describes what it looks like to be a co-heir with Christ. Our privileges and our responsibility. But that's not enough. It's not enough to know that we're a co-heir with Christ. It's not enough to have our mind transformed by our new identity as this co-heir with the firstborn from the dead. We actually have to move our faith to the next step. And that next step is conquering faith. Conquering faith. Now, let's look at what happened to the children of Israel, for example. Okay? The children of Israel, they get miraculously saved, they become delivered from slavery, right? Which, as we know, is a type of our deliverance from sin. So they are delivered by God miraculously from slavery. They come into the wilderness, and they have a promise, just like Esau had a promise as the firstborn. They had a promise. I'm going to take you into the promised land. You're going to conquer, and you're going to reign and rule in this land that I have prepared for you. So they come out of the Egyptian bondage. They go into the desert where God is purifying them and making them ready to go and rule and reign. And in that place, as God is trying to teach them, this is your new identity. You're no longer slaves. I'm no longer slave to fear. Right? I am a child of God. He's trying to teach them this. And they cannot embrace it. So what do they miss out on? They miss out on the conquering of the promised land. And they all die in the wilderness. So we are to embrace our new identity as co-heirs, but that is to lead us somewhere. It's to lead us to the promised land. It's to lead us to what God has prepared for us. And that land, just like he promised to Abraham, was something he says, it's yours. I've given it to you. But if you cannot choose to believe by faith that the birthright is yours, you will never step into it. 
Beloved, I want to challenge and exhort us this morning, and I do this with the utmost humility because the reason I'm speaking this morning is God's God's been pointing conviction at my heart all week long about this. And basically the truth is, as the church, we love our comfort. We love our blessing. Mm. And it's so good to be in church together and go, rah, 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 we got the blessing, we got the blessing, we got the blessing, right? Aren't we great as the church? We've got the blessing. God's going to bring the victory. He's going to go before us. He's going to do all these things. And we love to declare that. But how much are we willing to strap on our sword and believe him that what he promised us, he's actually going to give us as we go to war with him? Esau ended up living in this very tiny little territory of Edom, and in the end, he loses it, just like Israel loses theirs because of sin. But his territory in the rocky area that was barren, what we now know as the area of Jordan, Petra. Petra was uh, Esau's territory, right? It's barrenness. (laughs) This is where he ends up living. That's his territory because he despised his birthright. And Israel, Jacob's descendants, come into eventually into the promised land because two men by faith lead them there. They say, no, we can take this territory. Let's go in. This is our birthright. Let's not be comfortable with what's holding us back and keeping us in this place of living for the now and living for the moment. Let's accept and embrace the responsibility of our birthright along with the privileges. The Lord brought this home to me so powerfully this week, you guys. The Abrahamic covenant was all the families of the earth will be blessed in you. I think that we often forget that our purpose is to display the glory of God to a world that desperately needs it. It's not about our own blessing. It's not about our own comfort. It's about displaying the glory of God. This is why God chose one man, so that he could have a representative on the earth of what he looked like, what he wanted to do, how he wanted to interact, what intimacy with God looked like. And he said, through you, Abraham, I'm going to show my glory to the whole earth. And church, oftentimes I think we forget that's our call. That's the responsibility of our birthright. When we're talking about our new identity in Christ as co-heir, that's the responsibility of our birthright. So if we're going to go that next step and embrace conquering faith, where we come into the promised land, we have to understand what that looks like. I sat this week and I watched a video. You guys have all watched The Chosen, right? And they do these live streams. And I happened to click on the, the newest thing that they had posted on their app, and it was a live stream. And the greater part of this live stream is this movie that they made about Gen Z. I don't know if any of you have seen it. Okay. Powerful. They bring together, I don't know, like 10 or 8 Gen Zers from all over the country to binge watch the first season of The Chosen. And they film them as they're watching. They film them as they're going through the responses to this, this season of The Chosen. And they're giving a little bit of their stories along the way, right? And as I'm watching this, I can't do it. They're so broken. They're so broken. They're so lost. They are lost. They've been abused. They've been, I, there are 
different words to describe it. And they're watching Jesus on the screen, and they're seeing a Jesus that doesn't condemn them and doesn't say, clean up your act before you come to me. He shows up to Mary Magdalene and says, fear not, for I am with you. And they're weeping. You can see them weeping as they're watching this because they've never been introduced to this kind of Jesus before. And I get to the end, and I'm on my face, and weeping before God, and I'm saying, God, forgive me. That so often becomes about my comfort. It becomes about the blessing, and I ignore the birthright. The responsibility of the birthright to display your glory to the nations. That's my responsibility. Forgive me for being like Esau, Lord, who, who didn't embrace the faith that it took to walk out his birthright. He just wanted the blessing. And church, I, I believe that this is a moment in time where we have got to go to the nations to declare the goodness of the Lord. And maybe that means right here in San Clemente. We display the glory of God. And displaying the glory of God doesn't mean, hey, let me tell you how you need to clean up your act. It means let me declare the goodness of God to you. I was walking yesterday, and I walked past this girl on the trail, and the Lord said, turn around and pray for that girl. And, and I turned around, and her name was Sarah, and she's wearing this sweatshirt with a skull all over it, and she's dark makeup, and she looks hopeless. And I said, I, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but I practice hearing the voice of God, and I believe he wanted me to say something to you, and I believe he has hope for me. And I said, what's your name, sweetie? And she said, my name is Sarah. And I said, did you know that that means princess? That God actually calls you his princess? And she said, I think somebody told me that once. I said, do you know he has hope for you? And, and as I'm praying for her, I'm, I'm seeing that God is calling out over her father. And I said, I, I believe the Lord is working. God is working in your father's life. And she just starts weeping. And I said, is your dad in the picture of your life? Oh, she said, no, he's not. I, I said, what's his name? And she told me his name. And I said, I want to pray for your dad. And so I'm praying for her dad and just bringing restoration into that family and calling out life over her dad. And, and she's just standing there on the trail as people are walking by, and she's just weeping. And I felt like the Lord said, this is what your birthright looks like. This is what your birthright looks like. Why are you content with the blessing when you should be walking in the fullness of your birthright? You should be ruling and reigning with Christ by displaying the glory of Christ to the nations. How can you be comfortable eating a bowl of stew? Mm. So I'm sharing this with you because I believe this is God's word to us in this hour. We can't be content with the blessing. God is a good God. He's a good father. We have to embrace that faith that says, yes, I will step in and conquer the promised land. I will do what he's called me to do. I will strap on my sword and go. I will go display his glory to the nation's church. We've got to get up off of our butts and go do what he's called us to do. Because I believe that there's a dying generation and I know Upper Room just released statistics about Gen Z. They are technically the first generation that is a non-Christian generation, a completely post-Christian generation in our nation. We have got to give ourselves for these ones. We've got to.
So I want to just, um, I want to pray for us. <laughs> Father, I just thank you that you, you discipline those that you love. <laughs> Lord, I thank you that you've challenged me with your holy discipline this week. Lord, I just ask you for forgiveness for the ways I have wanted the blessing, but I have ignored the birthright. I've despised the birthright. Ways that I have not chosen to step into that faith that you've asked me to carry. Lord, I pray for each of us this morning that you would enable us by the power of your Spirit, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to believe you when you've spoken over us that we will inherit the nations, to believe you for this, God, and to embrace the call that comes with that that we would break out of comfort, that we would break out of living for ourselves, living for our own abundance, our own blessing, our own favor, our own authority. And God, that we would choose to take your glory to the nations. Forgive us, Father. Lord, I pray that we would be a people. I feel like the Lord just wants me to read this over you as I'm praying. This is... 1 Peter 2.9, but you, beloved, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Lord, you have called us a royal priesthood and a holy nation so that we might proclaim your excellencies. Lord, I just, I bless every one of my brothers and sisters in this room that they would step into that conquering faith, that they would embrace both the privileges and the responsibilities of their birthright, God, that you would bless them by the power of your spirit, that they would keep in step with the spirit, that they would not strive or try to come up with something on their own power, but they would keep in step with the spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your favor. We thank you for your blessing, God. We embrace it humbly and with gratitude. And we give you all the praise and the honor and the glory in Jesus' name.